You're listening to Music Growth Talks, the podcast for musicpreneurs, with Andrew Apanov. Hello there, Andrew Apanov here. This is the Music Growth Talks podcast, and today we are talking about empowering female musicians, and much more than that, as you'll soon learn, with the founder of Women of Substance Music Radio, Brie Noble. Brie has a fascinating background, which uh, she's going to share with you in just a few minutes. And uh, as the host of the Female Entrepreneur Musician podcast, Brie has covered a lot of uh, topics on music business and artist development with your guests. So here uh, on the episodes of our podcast, we went through some of the themes, uh, including income streams, house concerts, uh, crowdfunding, uh, live streaming, and so on. We didn't spend a lot of time on each, but nevertheless, you're going to hear quite a few useful tips on uh, uh, these topics on this very show. Don't forget to check out all of the resources we mentioned during our conversation in the show notes, which can be found at datatmusic.com. The link to the notes is also at musicgrowthtalks.com. Hope you enjoy this show. Here we go. Brie, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you on our podcast. Let me know how you're doing. I am doing great, although it's about 8 a.m., so I'm a little... A little groggy, but I'm good. I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah, so we are a bit on a different energy levels, I guess, because <laughs> I'm. It's 5 p.m. for me. I'm just waiting for the weekend to kick in. But I'm very excited to have this conversation with you at the end of the week. Honestly, so yeah, it's quite. I'm quite excited to um, to explore what you do and um, some of the topics you cover in your educational resources and uh, uh, what you do with musicians specifically. We're going to talk about that. I was just on the website for for your show and uh, I saw that you had uh, an episode about using virtual assistants with musicians. And I just, I mean, I should have checked it beforehand, but I, I saw that one literally right before we started the call. I am extremely fascinated by the idea. We run a location-dependent business here. Any particular insights in like within maybe a couple of minutes from that episode to intrigue our listeners maybe? Sure. So actually on that episode, I brought in my own virtual assistant and had her talk about how musicians can find virtual assistants and also just like how to work with a virtual assistant, how to create a good working relationship. And, you know, what kind of things you can give them, kind of how to figure out what things you should be handing off to a virtual assistant and, you know, basically going through what you do on a day-to-day basis and figuring out the things that either you hate doing or uh, are not really in your your wheelhouse or things that you absolutely you know, could pass off versus things that you absolutely have to be the one to do. I mean, obviously Mm -hmm. you have to be the one to perform your songs and record them and write them and all that. But there are other things that you can definitely pass off that you do on a day-to-day basis. Right, right, right. Makes sense. That's 
I think it's a good pitch for uh, for the show. Obviously, we'll link into it in the in these shows no, uh, show notes. And uh, yeah, so uh, the podcast uh, is uh, seems great. You you have had quite a few interesting guests out there, and I definitely am going to listen to that episode. Speaking of which, so uh, do you mind uh, giving? brief uh, overview of your background and just a, a little bit on on what you do just so yeah so our listeners not familiar with you get a better idea of yeah your ventures absolutely so um yeah i was i've always loved music as most musicians usually say you know been singing for forever but um, when I was in high school, I got really, really into music, sang in every choir that was possible and, you know, performed in a lot of competitions, went on to college and do the same, got a vocal degree. And I also, while I was there, got a business degree because I thought, well, if I don't know what to do and how to get into the music world when I graduate, at least I'll have something to fall back on. So I had a double degree in business and music and as I suspected when I left school, I really had no idea how to start a career in music. And I also had moved to a totally new place. I didn't know anyone. I, you know, just gotten married and we moved to where my husband was getting his doctorate and I knew no one there and mm-hmm. didn't have any inroads in any way. So, you know, that made it even harder to start a music career. So I ended up working in the, in the area of accounting and finance for several years after that and trying to do music on the side. So I worked as the director of finance at an opera company, which was cool because I was still working in the music world, but not the kind of music that I wanted to do. And of course I wasn't on the stage. I got to, you know, experience going to opening night and sitting in the front row and hanging out at all the after parties and all that. And it was super fun getting to know the opera artists, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. What I was passionate about was, you know, performing my own songs performing songs that meant a lot to me. And so, you know, after a while of doing that job and, you know, life just kind of changed for me. I had a a baby, I had some health issues and I just decided that I needed to leave that job because it was extremely stressful, although fun and went into doing music because I was home with my daughter. I had more time to try to figure out how I was going to build a career. And you know, at that time I was trying, you know, all this time I was trying to figure out how to find us, my, my spot in the music industry and, you know, get the attention of these decision makers or get a a record deal or whatever, get a booking agent, all the things that I thought I needed in order to start a career. And once I finally realized I didn't need the permission of any of those people to just start performing and start building a fan base, that was when things actually started happening. And The other thing that I realized as I started my music career was I needed to treat it like a business. And all this time I had been kind of treating my music like its own thing and not Mm -hmm. thinking of it strategically like a business, even though I had all this business background. So it was kind of weird. But um, I realized that I was kind of throwing all the business stuff out the window when I, you know, went into my role as a musician. So along the way in my music career, I realized that I needed to incorporate all the things that I knew from the business world into being a musician and, you know, really think of myself as a musician business. And that's kind of how the female entrepreneur musician was born, which is the name of my podcast and the site femusician.com, because 
I know I saw a lot of other musicians doing the same thing. Like they, number one, mm-hmm. they also didn't have the business skills that I did, but they were not, you know, thinking of themselves as a business. And because of that, they weren't being strategic. They weren't setting goals. They weren't, you know, just setting income goals and, and really understanding where their income could come from and all the things that business people do. So that's where I came up with the idea for the female entrepreneur musician and eventually moved that into a training platform called the Female Musician Academy. And the reason I chose females is just because when I was coming up as a female musician, felt like there was less opportunity for females. And I also found that when I discovered a group of females that were doing what I wanted to do and really learned from them and got mentored by them, that was really the breakthrough that I had. And so I loved that community and I wanted to offer that kind of community to other female artists. That's uh, a great thing that what that you are doing there. And uh, it's really important to, uh, to deliver this kind of knowledge. It's very common for musicians to go through the challenges that you just described, but just focusing on the on helping fem- female musicians is particularly impressive. And uh, I wish we had uh, more female musicians in our audience, for example. I, I keep an eye on, on our stats whenever possible and uh, uh, for the Wisping community, for example. And we've had not that many female artists, unfortunately. So... To be clear here, just because a lot of our listeners may be men, what of your offerings are female exclusive and what's what's for everyone? I guess the podcast clearly is um, something that everyone will benefit from. Yeah, I mean, I'm specific about wanting to only have female guests on that show. Yes. But everything that you can learn on the show is absolutely universal. I mean, there's occasionally we come up on, you know, specifically female themes, but most of the time, really, it's very universal to all indie artists. You know, for example, I have a, a weekly live show on Facebook called Indie Interactive, and that's obviously for anyone as well. And I have several courses that, you know, they all live inside the the Female Musician Academy as a membership site, but they are their own thing. So, you know, I've got like my Profitable House Concerts course and my goal setting course, Design Your Own Music Business Success Plan. Those are very universal. They have nothing specific to do with females. But what I wanted to create with the membership site was a community as well where I Mm -hmm. could support females and I could be supportive of them in a, like a group coaching role, you know, twice a month and stuff like that. And so I wanted that to be specific to females so they could feel like they had a a safe place to open up about, you know, any struggles that they have. Sounds like a call to action to the female musicians listening to us right now. And interesting. So on the uh, courses, I've seen some of the landing pages you've got, I'm also linking to everything in the show notes, but it's pretty easy to find from from your website. So while we are on that topic, do you have any insight or opinion or could you comment on the uh, situation in the music industry overall from your perspective in terms of uh, treatment of female artists and uh, people in the business specifically? It's the topic that's been brought up quite a lot uh, recently, which is uh, quite great. I've been to several conferences in the past uh, few years and it's consistently it's the topic that's been brought up uh, because of uh, 
there is quite a few issues in the music business mm. and how it's set up right now. Have things changed positively anyhow in the past 10 or so years or more years that you've been in the music business side of things, let's say? I think they have changed. I think that, you know, as you said, like it becoming a topic of conversation has helped things change. People bringing it to the forefront and not being able to, you know, hide these issues or women being feeling comfortable coming forward and saying, you know, I felt pressured to do certain things for favors, you know, in order to get my album distributed or get a record deal or, you know, my producer opening some doors for me or whatever. I've definitely heard stories from people within my academy and others that have experienced all of those things over the years. And, you know, most of them are experiences that have happened five years ago and beyond, but Mm -hmm. I know it still happens, you know? And so I think just having those conversations and having even male role models in the music industry, calling people out on these things, which I've seen a lot of lately, that is really, really helping the situation. Yeah, because uh, it's also important, in my opinion, to educate people about this and bring it up because oftentimes it's not just people don't talk about these topics. Oftentimes people in the industry don't uh, know the, the, the scale of the issue or that the problem exists in the first place. So we definitely want to talk about this. So you do a lot of great things for the community, I have to say at this point. So the podcast uh, from what I've seen and uh, your courses also cover quite a few topics and uh, you do talk about songwriting and music creation a little bit even we for the uh, main focus is still on marketing business is it correct or or you try to mainly uh, help your community members and, and the listeners earn more money and and build audiences well, I think that that's what they need the most. Um, but I do bring in all kinds of experts in other areas. Like, you know, I'm a songwriter, but I don't teach songwriting. Um, I don't teach music licensing, but I bring in people that do those things to offer yep. them to my general audience. And then, you know, special topics, expert workshops in my uh, Female Musician Academy. But yeah, I try to give them the whole picture of the music industry and give them help in all the areas they might need help. But me, my main focus is all the business related and and money stuff, you know, goal setting, house concerts, uh, income generation, booking, social media, marketing, um, building your website, all that stuff is what I cover in my specific training and Facebook ads, you know, advertising, stuff like that. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, so yeah, one of the topics that's been brought up among our community members and listeners as well and readers is uh, th- without much surprises, income streams and monetization, even for the everything is equally important and you cannot uh, just jump straight into uh, ways to monetize uh, your music and your fan base if you haven't built that fan base in the first place. Mm-hmm. So not that I'm kind of I want to skip those topics, but still we get asked about new ideas of making money in particular quite a lot. And uh, it's while a lot of our, a lot of artists who I've seen haven't even tried all of the income streams that have existed for quite some time, 
such as house concert, which uh, is quite a thing in the US, but outside, not always. Among the things that you've heard from your guests in the past, let's say, year, any particular trends in terms of monetization? Maybe you've seen that, maybe you see more musicians making money out of um, non-traditional new income streams. I see a lot of people starting fan clubs with things like Patreon or Bandcamp where right. you can, you know, offer a monthly offering to them and build up your, you know, your recurring income. So you've got kind of this salary that you get. And I've seen a lot of people taking good advantage of that. And then, of course, you know, crowdfunding has become such a big thing. And I always recommend that they wait until they've got like, you know, at least a thousand people on your email list, if not 1500 before you start trying a crowdfunding campaign, but you can do smaller ones. You know, if you need to raise money for equipment or, you know, something really specific, then you can do that. And then I see a lot of other people partnering with nonprofit organizations that they believe in and, you know, sharing that money with them, but it helps to raise money for you because people believe in that organization and they know you do. And so you can speak really strongly about it and, you know, it just benefits everyone. Any tips on, uh, on making a crowdfunding campaign successful if you don't have a big email list or it's not engaged enough? Because this is the quite real situation I see quite a lot. So uh, artists building email lists over years discover that now the open rate is not the same as it was years ago because people are more active on social media and so on. Any, maybe even case studies from your experience, anything that comes to mind with successful crowdfunding campaigns? Yeah, I mean, I have several students that have and several students that are in the midst right now. You know, I am not the crowdfunding guru. I always look to uh, to Ariel Hyatt, who just recently write a, wrote a book about that. Yeah, yeah, and I always tell my students to read her book. But my experience with that is, yes, email open rates have gone down, but you've got to go where they are. So you need to then use more social media strategies, maybe using Facebook Live to do videos and then, you know, boost that and make sure that your people on your email list are seeing that by, you know, just putting a few dollars in with Facebook ads to make sure that that's getting in front of them every week or how often you're doing. You know, I I really recommend doing a weekly Facebook Live just to keep that engagement going, especially if you're you're going toward a crowdfunding campaign. You know, you need to mm-hmm. think about it like a pre-launch period, even before you launch the crowdfunding. So the crowdfunding campaign is like a pre-launch to your album, but then you need a pre-launch to the crowdfunding campaign and you need to, you know, regularly be engaging with your audience and maybe hinting about your crowdfunding that's coming up and maybe some of the rewards that are going to be available. And, you know, just, just, be giving them value all that time and engaging with them before you even go do the ask. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. And of course, you need to be very active throughout the actual campaign, but ignoring the pre kind of warm up yes. campaign is can be harmful. That's uh, a good one. Any of your uh, students uh, doing anything interesting with Instagram live yet? It's funny. I am so not an Instagram person. Like I want to embrace it, but it. I just don't, I don't love the platform for me, whatever reason, I, but I know I need to. And I tell my students, yes, Instagram is great for musicians. And I'm actually bringing in into my academy, a specialist who works with musicians next week to talk about actually, I guess in two weeks to talk about 
Instagram with them because I know that that's not my thing. And so whenever that's the case, I always make sure to bring in somebody that I think is is really going to help them out with it and give them the right perspective. Makes sense. Yeah. That's why running a podcast is so cool, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can always pick up someone's brain on a particular topic because there are uh, specialists and people who are better in particular fields than we uh, may be. So that's, uh, that's great that you cover quite a lot of areas here once again. So going back to some of the income stream related topics, it's just something that I have to ask you because <laughs> once again, this is, as you may expect, a very popular topic. Any insights or particular practical tips related to how sponsored by any chance? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't know if you have any specific things you want to ask, but I have, you know, a whole course on house concerts and there's definitely a way that you want to set up house concerts that makes it the most successful for making money. There's definitely a specific way that you want to deal with your hosts to make sure that they're prepared. And, you know, the biggest thing with house concerts is that it's really, I think about it kind of like, not like a Tupperware party, but you know, those kind of parties where people are selling a specific thing and they're, they're supposed to invite their friends. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of like how house concerts are because it's at someone's house. You don't want to be without their permission, inviting a bunch of your fans over. So what's kind of expected is that the host invites people and that they, you know, it's a special evening for their friends and they invite them specifically, you know, with email invites or RSVP kind of things online, you know, like Eventbrite or any of those, you know, just Facebook events or whatever. And, you know, even phone calls, like very personal because you, you want to make sure there's enough people there to have the right kind of vibe. So one clue I would give is always invite at least twice as many people as you want to be there mm-hmm. because you know that not everybody's going to show up. Everyone's going to say that they're gonna, and then stuff is going to come up. So, you know, always make sure that if you want to have at least 20 people there, you invite 40. If you want to have at least 30 people there, at least invite 60. I know it sounds like a lot and people might be thinking, oh my gosh, my house can't fit 60. Well, there's no way 60 are going to show up, even if they say they are. Right, right, right. And uh, I guess as an artist, you want to make an impression on the host so and, and to help them in uh, possible ways to ensure that more people want to book you in the future. So any advice on... Yeah, making that good impression and uh, making it a great experience for the person paying for the concert? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, usually the person, I mean, it can be any different number of ways. The person might want to pay for the concert and give it as a gift to their friends. You know, they could just offer it for free and then ask for donations at the end, which I recommend. Or you could, you know, you could really do it both ways. But one thing is you need to make sure that your host is prepared to let people know about you. Like, why should they come? Right. So make sure they have all the promo materials they need. You might even want to give them like physical CDs that they could hand out to their friends that are just, you know, copies, like not your actual CD, or you could, you know, give them a special link for their friends to go and listen to your music in advance, you know, streaming, make sure that they have basically access to all of your promo materials. So, and even you can even design something for them. You could have a designed flyer that you do for all house concerts and then just change the name and and date on it for that person and make it easy. Like just make it really easy for the host so they don't have to do a lot of work. 
Yeah, 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 makes sense. I like these ones. And uh, I really like that you mentioned uh, platforms like Patreon. We talk a lot about subscription models and membership platforms for musicians over here. Any other interesting income streams that you haven't covered yet before we switch to another topic? Um, nothing. I mean, there's all kinds of in- income streams, like music licensing is another area that you can definitely get into. It's, it's a little bit more of a longer game. You know, you, you don't get immediate results, but once you build up kind of your catalog, then you can have some passive income coming in at a pretty regular rate. But it's yeah, something yeah. you need to work on constantly. You know, you need to keep submitting and, and pitching and all that kind of stuff along the way. But it can yeah. really be a nice chunk of income. It's also very competitive these days, which makes things tougher. But uh, yeah, it's a long-term game, as you said. That's I can't agree more with that one. I wanted to ask you something about uh, a completely different topic unrelated to generating money directly, indirectly for sure. It's the topic that affects everything that a musician does. And it's uh, it's uh, health, physical and mental. I, somehow I haven't ever, for the past 86 episodes on this show, we haven't really talked about that too much maybe it was covered on one or two episodes total and i believe you've had someone uh, on the show to talk about about health issues and uh, you also had uh, an episode 70 if i'm not mistaken why your music goals and objectives are stressing you out so i will be honest i haven't listened to this one yet please tease it a little bit and uh, share some of the insights that you've discovered and been teaching to your students if possible uh, to fit it in you know in a short kind of format and yeah i mean it's even difficult to phrase it properly so maybe what this episode is about well that episode actually doesn't have to do with health in general it's more about how we are choose you know we're choosing either not choosing to not choose goals or you know and be totally overwhelmed and think we need to do everything at one time because we everything you know we see all these other musicians doing these things and we think oh I need to do a Patreon campaign oh I need to do a crowdfunding campaign oh I need to start doing music licensing you know you can't do all of those things at once and so that's why I've kind of become very focused and known for the goal setting portion and the planning of making sure that you're not completely going in a million directions because if you do that, you'll start a bunch of things and you'll never finish any of them. So mm-hmm. I'm always very big when people, you know, enter my academy on let's sit down, let's talk about your goals. Let's figure out your goals for 90 days. You know, let's figure out what action steps you need to take on a weekly and even daily basis to achieve those goals. So that's one way that you can obviously stay healthy and that you're not stressing yourself out trying to do everything you've got a plan. But I actually did have an episode, and I don't remember the number, 60-something, where we talked um, with a girl who, you know, she's like a holistic, she focuses on holistic health, and she's also a musician. And so that all came about because when she was a musician and touring, she just, you know, fell into the trap of eating terribly, not eating, eating at midnight, you know, whatever was there high sugar, high fat diet, and just got like, she got candida, she got really sick. She, Mm -hmm. you know, was like barely functioning 
it was almost like an intervention. Her, her parents came and got her and took her home and were like, we're going to give you this special diet and you know, you're going to get better. And she did. And it changed her entire life. And she went into the, you know, working um, with holistic health industry, as well as still being a musician. So I thought that was a, a valuable episode, because it is true that it is so easy to get into that trap when you're touring of not really focusing on what you're eating and just eating to survive and eating whenever it's there. Or, you know, you, you play at a bar or a venue and they give you free food and all they have is greasy, crappy food, you know, but yeah. you're like, oh, but it's free. And, you know, and I don't have any time to eat anything else. And then pretty soon you're tired and sluggish and you're wondering why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is one of the these things that are not talked about so too much oftentimes as well for it's extremely important for uh, uh musicians to take care of uh, of themselves it's kind of expected that musicians are lucky and happy enough to just do music it feels like some people may may feel that way towards artists and that it's normal to to live a rock and roll lifestyle mm. and not care about your health way too much or fall it's quite the opposite, especially when a musician has to do lots of things then on their own. Which, well, that seems so yeah. crazy because you think about, you know, your ability to play your instrument or to sing is what is making you the money. And what does that? Your body. Exactly. So you need to yeah. be able to keep that healthy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's common sense, but I hope that uh, it's been covered more. And uh, yeah, we, we need more education in that area, I think, for musicians as well. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, once again, it's just quite a variety of topics that uh, I've noticed you've been covering on the show. So, um, do you have um, any interesting uh, story to share besides what you've mentioned already, maybe uh, from some of your students or some of your guests that's uh, related to a musician and uh, ideally experience some level of success or just uh, appearing in an interesting situation. So usually we have quite a few here on the show. So uh, just another way to tease your podcast. So do you have an interesting uh, story from any of your artists or guests to share? Sure. So I did an episode um, quite a while back with the glass child. And I don't know, you may be familiar with her. She's she's from Europe. And she did house concerts all across Europe for like mm -hmm. an entire year, you know, to build her fan base. And she never had to stay in a hotel like she was, you know, put up in these houses all across Europe. And she did that for a year. And then she after that had built her fan base such that she did a crowdfunding campaign and she like way overfunded. I think she funded it up to like $44,000 or something. And I think she was asking for 20,000, but yeah, that's the power of building your fan base, like one fan at a time at house concerts and really getting that connection. That's the greatest thing about house concerts is, you know, I always say that can help you build super fans because they've got that high touch environment, really engaging with you on a personal level. Yeah. 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 That's cool. It's, it's a great way to travel as well. We've had one uh, guest on the show who collaborated with artists actively of uh, SoundClouds and then 
after building a network and uh, kind of a small community of supporters with just maybe several thousand followers on SoundCloud, but really, really engaged. She ran uh, a crowdfunding campaign for just a few thousand, I believe, to be able to tour mostly Europe and Scandinavia to visit the studios of the people she collaborated with, other producers and musicians, and uh, and just be able to, to travel, so just to cover the travel costs. And she documented it, and it was pretty cool because basically, yeah, it was a successful crowdfunding campaign, and uh, it's interesting when you think about it, how it can become a, a part of a lifestyle. So not always, in all cases, just a moneymaker, but if... Um, Seeing new places, new cultures, new people, and traveling a lot is uh, very important to you. Then uh, uh, there is quite a few interesting ways to do it these days, and with data as well. So with uh, social media accounts, uh, platforms providing some of the data and being able to see where your email subscribers are from, you can just make some predictions and plan your tour accordingly and meet with uh people in particular regions, so it's pretty cool. Have you seen any more of that happening lately? Yeah, I mean, I definitely have had people who, you know, they look at their data and they know generally where their fan base is from and they'll plan a tour based around that. That's, that is so useful, yeah. you know, with the kind of data that we can have these days. And you can also, you know, once you get like one date in that area, then you can go out to the rest of your fans that are in that area, or, or you may have time to build your fan base online in that area, knowing that you're going to go there like in six months and, you know, you can target that, which is, that's, what's one thing that's cool about Facebook ads. You know, you can target specific areas. Yes. Sounds like you've been covering the topic of Facebook ads quite a lot, uh, recently. I've seen that, uh, Facebook, uh, recording you did as well uh facebook live uh so you do have um uh, is it something that is particularly important these days or do you, you've just been doing it for quite some time it's kind of a necessary thing i mean it's impossible to avoid uh spending money on facebook ads if you want to achieve any kind of success on facebook because of how the platform is set up and you do the edge run algorithm and things like that but it's definitely possible and we know the ways to promote particular events and releases cost effectively if you know how to do it right. Any, I mean, it's such a big topic that we could dedicate several podcasts just to that, but maybe you have a recommendation on Facebook ads to those listeners of ours who are particularly skeptical about using the platform. <laughs> well, I mean, I can understand being skeptical. It's it is a big topic and it is really kind of a, um, it's like an, a strategy that all works together with a few different ads. I feel like you can't just go out there and run one ad and go, oh, this didn't work. You know, I think about it in terms of the fan discovery journey and, you know, it takes, you can't just go out to people that don't know you and ask them to buy your music. You know, you need to take them on this journey of like having them take micro commitments know, okay, well, they, you know, now, now they like me. Now they need to learn a little bit more about me. I need to show them a video so they can learn a little about me and my music. And then maybe I'm going to, you know, try to get them to download a free song and get on my email list. You know, it's this journey of the fan that you can take them through with Facebook ads that excites me. And that's, you know, I just, in the midst of creating my new course, Facebook ads made easy for musicians. And that's, 
kind of what it's based around. It's this micro commitments. It's this whole overarching strategy of how you're going to take them from not knowing anything about you to becoming a fan. Excellent. I didn't know about the course. That's interesting. Uh, when is it out? I'm just thinking maybe we'll even be able to link to it. Ah, it, it should be out in a few weeks. Okay, well, uh, keep an eye on that one. And uh, I'm not entirely sure on which date this episode is released. If it's uh, if the course is already out, then we'll link to it in the show notes. In any case, it's a good idea to just go to your website and uh, see if it's up there. Brief, thank you so much for everything that you've shared uh, today. It's been... Um, I mean, we've covered quite a few different areas here of music... Uh, development, music growth, and artist growth. And uh, I appreciate the insights that you've shared. Uh, before we wrap it up, any additional uh, insights, something that's been on your minds uh, recently or something that you've been telling your musicians particularly frequently in the past month or so? So any any advice that you believe may be particularly useful to our listeners as well? I think right now it's so much about live streaming video. I encourage yeah. all of my students to start doing Facebook live. And, you know, I tell them as they get more fans, you really should consider doing a weekly show. And mm -hmm. after, you know, I have a few students that are doing that. And after that, you know, watching them and thinking, you know what, like I have to put my money where my mouth is. I'm telling them to do it. I better do it too. So I started my weekly show this last week and I've got all the content planned out for the year. So I'm really excited about it. But I think there's such an opportunity right now in live streaming for musicians like none other, like the kind of access that we're being allowed to directly connect with fans on live video is, I mean, to think about that five years ago is mind blowing. So I really yeah. suggest that you all jump on that. That's uh, a great advice here. And, uh, I think I would also encourage um, artists who don't see too many people join joining their live streams not to be discouraged. First of all, because um, it requires time to build up and uh, and and explain to uh, to fans and uh, and build a schedule and make it a, a consistent thing just so people show up. But also, from what I've seen, if it, if it's just even five or ten people they may be so engaged with you on that stream and you've seen that they are one of um, the few for whom you are doing it in real time and uh, be very interested in asking questions and so on that it may really pay off in the long term because these few people may be turned into the true super fans. Yeah, I mean, I've get them engaged while you're on there and make sure to ask yeah. them questions and have them respond and And it's not just the live. I mean, afterward, if you get good engagement, Facebook will send that out to your other fans too. And that's where we're getting the ability to get organic reach now on Facebook. So take advantage of it. Absolutely, yeah. And with Instagram, for me, I, I would recommend trying that as well, especially since Instagram still sends these push notifications when uh, uh, you are streaming live uh, to mm. all your followers. It's quite unique. I mean, it's 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 a great reach, so you can really reach a lot of people there as well. I mean, I would I would definitely experiment with all platforms and just try it on several ones and uh, and see how how it goes on each platform and what performs best. Anyway, that's a great insight. I fully agree here. I think we uh, want to 
recommend our listeners to check you out online. We are linking to all the to the websites and the, the podcast and everything we discussed in the show notes once again. I greatly appreciate the insights. It was a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much. It's been really fun. No matter what gender you are, give Bree's podcast a shot. Once again, we'll link to it in the show notes, which you can find at datamusic.com or musicgrowthtalks.com. And if you happen to be a female music preneur, I hope that you've just found a community of like-minded artists and industry professionals. Now, as a reminder, if you have any feedback to today's episode, leave it in the comment section on SoundCloud. We are at soundcloud.com forward slash wispin. Thank you so much and till next time. You've been listening to Music Growth Talks with Andrew Apanov. Find more episodes and subscribe at musicgrowthtalks.com.